All right, guys. Welcome to the live podcast. This is Rav Aurora doing a podcast today. We're doing a podcast today with uh, Mohit Bassi, who is a psychedelic integration therapist based in Vancouver. Um, Mohit uh, contributed a guest essay for my Substack um, last week as I was doing a reader series where I was inviting my readers to contribute a piece of writing, um, a long form piece of writing um, regarding psychedelics, spirituality, or meditation. And uh, Mohit was interested. And so he published this uh, brilliant essay explaining psychedelic therapy, the nuances of it, um, uh, comparing it with uh, other modalities and other therapies, um, and kind of comparing East versus West, comparing the kind of therapies that we do here um, that are originated in the West um, with therapies that originate more from the East or from other um, cultures, other alternative therapies. So that was, that was a great essay. Uh, people should check it out. It's on my Substack. But after reading that, I asked Mohit to come live and have a conversation about his psychedelic integration work um, as a therapist dealing with clients who have had psychedelic journeys, um, that whole process of integrating that, I was very interested in learning about what the role of a therapist uh, is there. How does that exactly work? So we have Mohit here. Uh, Mohit, welcome. Hello. Hi. Can you hear me? Yeah, I can. Awesome. Uh, thanks so much for having me, Rav, and thanks for the introduction. Sure. Yeah. Is my volume okay, by the way? Uh, yeah, you're good. Okay. Yeah, you're good too. It's nice and clear. Awesome. Beautiful. Yeah, lovely to be here. Great. So do you want to do just a quick intro um, as to what your background is and how you got into psychedelic integration work? Mm-hmm. Sure. Yeah, so um, I was always, you know, interested in psychology and did my sort of undergraduate and graduate training, um, of course, in psych and then counseling psych. Um, formally, as a therapist, I've only sort of been in the field for about a year and a half. But, you know, with practicums and previous experience, I've probably working been working as a therapist in the field for about two or three years now. Um, was always interested in, in sort of uh, medicine-assisted psychotherapy in general, you know, um, uh, in my undergrad classes, especially in, uh, when I'm taking classes like neuropsychology, um, seeing the efficacy of a lot of these psychedelic uh, compounds, a lot of that research kind of started coming out between the early 2010s to, to mid-2010s, uh, and that's kind of when I was going through my undergrad years. So that kind of piqued my interest, and just I just kind of followed that uh, research sort of passively. Um, and I guess in that background, um, over over those those years, you know, um, nonprofit organizations like like MAPS and many others have slowly but surely gained prominence. And so, yeah, just kind of following that wave passively. And I always knew I wanted to be a therapist. And, and so um, after graduating and I sort of uh, found, you know, like-minded um, therapists in, uh, in Vancouver and, and, yeah, sort of found my calling. I reached out and started working in the, the field just by, by experience. Interesting. Um, now, when it comes to psychedelics, were there any specific experiences that were formative that made you realize certain more fundamental things about reality, about psychology, about neuroscience 
that then led you to work in this field specifically? Mm -hmm. I was always kind of um, actually a straight edge um, kid, you know, I never really um, ventured into the, the area of, of drugs or altered states of consciousness in any way. Um, I, I got into a car accident at some point in undergrad and that kind of led me to try um, considering uh, at that point, at that point it was cannabis for, for chronic pain and things like that, which uh, really helped with just dealing with the after effects of, of re rehab and physio and, chronic pain and so what what, what kind of what, what kind of uh injury did you sustain in your accident if you don't mind sharing yeah well it was just sort of a i think it, it came down to like a soft tissue injury so it and it was like uh more kind of in like my shoulder kind of back area and um uh, fortunately no 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 blood or nothing like no broken bones but uh the way i was kind of hit by a, a truck kind of coming in um uh, like a four by four um, and, uh, yeah, just kind of slammed me into the, on the driver's side and really hit my kind of left side. And so, um, yeah, going through the medical system was not pretty. Um, and, uh, the medications I was prescribed had a lot of like side effects and stuff. And so, so around that time, um, a lot of like, sort of like pseudo legal, like dispensaries and, and medical dispensaries started popping up and stuff. And so the access was more prevalent. And so I kind of gave that a shot, um, with like oral low dose. Um, like cannabis oil, for example, and, and that really helped with the with the pain. Was uh, it was just chronic pain that you had? Yeah, well, the chronic pain was sort of longer lasting uh, as you know treatment lasted for for many years after the accident, and that's kind of when I realized it wasn't just acute or something that I could uh, easily fix short term. And so, yeah, it became a longer term thing. And so, so cannabis was that sort of first. Uh, I guess, um, exposure directly to, to these kinds of drugs or the medicinal benefits of such drugs that otherwise were literally illegal in Canada, like even 10 years ago. Mm. Interesting. Now walk me through, um, how that led to psychedelic trips and how that, uh, made you realize certain like that, that sparked your interest and then led you to this field. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Like, so throughout, like, were there like were there any specific trips, like in particular, one or two trips that were really um, pivotal in mm -hmm. your uh, career transformation? I, I see the first um, sort of exposure to psychedelics. I think was with um, with LSD, so you know, a synthetic um, compound, and and um, yeah, it was kind of um, taken recreationally, but uh, you know, with a general understanding of you know uh, the history of the drug and sort of its uses. Uh, there, there's tons of information online and websites like Arrowhead. So I was always kind of very uh, curious about these things. I started getting that curiosity, uh, especially after the accident and seeing, oh, okay, what what other substances are there that were you know banned um, that did have some sort of positive benefit, and that kind of eventually led me down a rabbit hole on the research side and then a little bit of experimentation as well, just going through, you know, undergrad. But it's not like I had a certain pivotal, like, aha moment where I was like, this is my calling. I just kind of uh, fell into it from a sort of healing perspective for, for both the mind and the body. Mm. And what was so interesting about this LSD trip for you? Was there anything you can recall that any sort of key insights that you had from that trip, whether or not it led you to uh, seek working in this field or not, but was there anything in particular that changed the way you looked at things or affected your personal life in any way? Mm -hmm. 
Um, well, certainly, you know, your first experience is uh, usually quite eye-opening. You feel very connected, especially with uh, with this substance in particular, and you feel very sort of in tune with the universe. Um, mostly, like psychologically, if I can speak to those benefits, you know, after the trip. Um, of course, the trip itself was, uh, you know, um, hard, even hard to describe in words. But um, after sort of the trip, the long-lasting effects were sort of just like a psychological openness. Um, started to notice older patterns that I had kind of held on to without necessarily a good reason or a solid um, uh, pinpoint as to, oh, where did this pattern of behavior come from in my life? And is it serving its purpose right now? And, you know, it could be things like, for example, even like junk food or 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 physical activity, the lack thereof. Um, maybe it's a diet thing. It was just sort of these small subtleties that I was like, whoa, you know, I've been doing this thing for so long in my life without question. And and I'm suddenly making these connections about how it's affecting maybe my mood, uh, my recovery from the accident, all these things. And so so that kind of tuned me into, ah, okay, I, I read the research and I can sort of cognitively understand and read about these amazing like trip reports and positive benefits. And, you know, you see the stats and you see the the, uh, the changes in depression scores or whatever. And that's all nice on paper. But yeah, to, to, to experience that um, subjectively, that was uh, quite the eye opener for me. And again, at that point, I, I knew I kind of wanted to be in the therapy healing space as a, as a therapist, but I didn't necessarily know or, or, or think I would kind of fall into it just uh, less than a decade later after shortly after finishing graduate school. Mm. Um, did that LSD trip prompt you into any kind of action in your life, like for like for junk, like for eating, or for various habits that you had? Did it prompt you to change something radically, or, or even any small steps that you remember taking from that trip, or maybe with other trips that you had done as well? Yeah. Well, one common uh, theme with with these um, that I've kind of noticed is. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not a vegetarian per se, right? But after sort of some of these trips, you kind of come back to it and maybe it's this greater appreciation for, for life in general or um, just uh, an awareness of other other beings, other forms of consciousness. You kind of feel like you don't have that maybe craving to eat meat. I mean, eventually you kind of get back onto it. But for me, it was an interesting like, oh, hey, I I can actually take a break from literally you know, eating meat regularly in my meals. Um, and that was, that was good. And it kind of gave me a perspective on, on, um, you know, what I'm consuming, you know, even though I was of course doing it before and I still, I'm not a vegetarian. It's like, it brings a certain level of awareness or consciousness. So that was one particular thing that really struck me and was a recurring kind of theme, um, throughout, uh, throughout these, uh, trips. Mm, that's so interesting. I've never heard of that before, but that's, yeah. So like psychedelic trips prompting you to temporarily become a vegetarian. That That's, that's really interesting. I, I wonder what, what exactly it was like the, like, like you were saying, the awareness of nature and of plant life and animal life, it created some kind of spark in you, but it wasn't permanent. Like you're not permanently vegetarian. Um, yeah, that that's interesting. And you're saying that this was a recurring pattern that you found throughout various other trips too, that you would then become kind of a vegetarian for some time. Mm-hmm. Or at the very least, like um, you know, I'd be like, oh, oh, I'm eating this like dead, you know, like this. There was a sacrifice. Like it's like 
maybe mm. a, more, a greater awareness of like the source and the 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 journey of mm. the food before it came to my plate, so to speak. Interesting, interesting. Now, can you tie that to some specific, like vision or image or experience? Like, can you connect the dots in any way of like maybe you saw some like image of nature or something? You saw everything was connected, and how the ecosystem has all these different parts that come together. Like, was there anything like that? Um, like, can, can you recall the impetus for that particular action that you took? Yeah, not not so much episodically. Like, there was a certain moment in time, but uh, it's sort of this as a transient mm-hmm. experience. Um, being connected to and being aware of these different forms of life and, and consciousness. And I mean, it, it was meat, but also, I guess it's, you know, fur and uh, protein and all that. It's more, it's more visceral, but even acknowledging that, hey, there's like this lentil soup that I'm having. Oh, this was at least at some point sprouted in the ground and it was harvested and it was cleaned. And it was like, this is a, a deeper appreciation for the smaller things in life. It's like, whoa, you know, cooking is it's cooking you know but like when you slow down and think about the the order the process how easy it is to mess up like literally a breakfast omelet omelet you know it's it's like whoa you you kind of step back and then you kind of you just appreciate kind of where where your food's coming from and yeah it sounds so so weird uh, to link that with psychedelics but yeah that appreciation kind of bled through into just other parts of life too but that that food thing was just i guess you know because you're always hungry after a 12-hour journey into the uh, underworld and so you know you come back to it and you're like whoa I'm, I'm not really you know craving maybe meat or or craving certain types of food um after coming back mm. yeah that, that's interesting like when we cook when we put food in our mouths like do we really understand all of the uh, the, the the whole process that went went into that particular food that you have like like I, I'm very careful with what I eat and I eat and I try to eat very, very healthy and I eat at specific times and I eat specific things. And I use a lot of herbs like ashwagandha, mm. turmeric, you know, mm-hmm. a lot of these herbs that, that come that originally were used in Indian cuisine are now you know, more and more commonly being used here. Um, and also, I mean, like with, you know, using various uh, superfoods, um, using uh, various ingredients in, in your oatmeal, like different nuts and different seeds, shia seeds, for example. It's like, now that I'm thinking about it, it's, it's the, the, yeah, there is a lack of connection there. It's more so like, oh, you know, I need my omega-3s. I need, you know, shia seeds, one spoon of mm. turmeric. Like, I need these things to just, mm-hmm. like, put in my body while I'm listening to a podcast, while I'm cooking, and then just, like, shoving it in my mouth. And that's that. But there is that lack of, like, oh, where did this come from? And what is the source of that? Like, well, like how, how did this come to be? Like, like so many things now, now that I'm thinking about it, I would be curious about like, well, like how does, um, like how does like turmeric get harvested or ashwagandha, the, the popular Indian herb? Yeah. Now, yeah. Those are all interesting questions. That I think we should be more invested. We should be more invested in what goes into our food. So yeah, that, yeah, that's interesting. I'll, I'll definitely think about that. And, it's yeah, it's it's still um, somewhat surprising to me that that was one key insight from your trip. Mm-hmm. Yeah, was there um, anything else that you recall, or anything else that has stayed with you? Any sort of um, alteration in your perception or in the way you look at things? Um, any kind of change in your philosophy or in your worldview from your psychedelic trips? Hmm. 
if you are if there are any other noteworthy experiences you may want to um briefly like any other drug that's maybe was particularly powerful for you um feel free to to mention that mm -hmm. yeah well you know each um drug sort of has its own sort of uh, uh flavor of you know how it alters your consciousness uh what it sort of uh, zooms in and magnifies on you know um i find that for example with like magic mushrooms psilocybin it's it's very much like focusing more on like your ego and and it's almost like a bit of a trickster energy you know it it brings up all these things in your life about that like it's like oh you know you're not doing this properly and hey you're behind on this and oh have you checked in on your friends recently and you know it kind of it's like just brings it all up in your face and so the very powerful thing and a uh, very careful thing you have to do with the, these medicines especially in in uh, therapy and, and healing is that when you're working with clients, it's not something for everyone. And that's kind of something I touched on the, in my article as well um, on, on the guest blog post, um, which is, you know, these things aren't for everyone. Um, everyone will react to things very differently, even within a certain class or type of drugs. There's so many different varieties, so many factors. Um, even for example, like, are you on an empty stomach when you're taking this or, and or have you been fasting for a few days or did you literally just have, you know, a ham sandwich uh, for lunch and then decided, okay, I'm going to take the rest of the day now for whatever. Um, you know, so it's like all, so all these factors and even within like, let's say magic mushrooms, there's so many thousands of species uh, known and even unknown. And each of these different species, you know, some are literally poisonous to humans and you just can't have them. That's just regular mushrooms. And some are like magic mushrooms and they contain a variety of different compounds. And it's like, well, each species almost has a different uh, palate. They hit differently. They absorb differently. Um, psychocognitively, your, your effects on them are different. You know, one might make you yawn more. The other one might make you feel a bit more catatonic and you just kind of want to lay down and not do anything. So, so that variety is very interesting. But then again, the interaction with that and the client or patient in front of you, super important because again, it's not for everybody. Um, it's like, there has to be a certain purpose and intention. Um, and even dosing, you know, micro or macro, we can get into that, but yeah, so many factors, I guess it just kind of, as, as my experience with this stuff, um, grew and I tried different things, you know, it kind of gave me an awareness of that, that the different variety of uh, states of consciousness one could be in. Interesting. And when it comes to your uh, clinical work that you've done with your clients, um, so, so just to lay this out for everybody, so you have people, so you work at uh, Thrive Downtown, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a clinic uh, based in Vancouver. Um, I highly recommend it if anybody's looking for just counseling, psychedelic integration therapy. That's that's a great place to go to. And also, if you want to mention, like, are you taking clients right now as well? Yes, yes, I am um, in person as well as uh, remote. You know, sometimes um, clients aren't necessarily in Vancouver or in the area, but they are looking for services. So yeah, I am currently taking on clients. Uh, remotely as well as in person. But, you know, for that deeper work and stuff beyond integration, it would have to kind of be in person. Um, but I do uh, do, um, you know, psychedelic microdose coaching, which um, can really be done remotely. And I have a few clients who are doing that remotely with me. Yes. Mm. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I know there are a few people um, in my life who are looking for therapy. So I'll uh, we'll maybe talk about that privately. But yeah, if anybody's listening and they're interested, then 
they can find you. Um, uh, is there a so particular social media channel that you prefer? Uh, yeah, good. Uh, I guess I can plug myself here. It's just my, my first name and last name. So M-O-H-I-T-B-A-S-S-I.com is my sort of my general like clinical website. It has my services offered, uh, my locations where I work and all that kind of stuff. And you can also contact me um, from there. And then, uh, of course, my Substack as well, which is just my first and last name dot Substack dot com. Perfect. Great. So regarding your uh, clinical work in this field, mm -hmm. um, the so you have people who go on these journey, these psychedelic journeys, and then they come to you for this integration work. Um, walk us through maybe very briefly, like what is that? What is that like? So they go on the journey and they meet you over Zoom or in person. Are there any kind of general themes to this integration work that you do with them afterwards? Is there anything in particular? that you may focus on? Hmm. Yeah, so here it is kind of where it's really, you know, contextual. Um, some people have maybe had like a one-off, very scary experience with, let's say, a, a drug, maybe at a, a party or something where the mindset, they call it set, and also the setting, the environment that they're in is not necessarily um, the most optimal. You know, they couldn't really control all the variables around them. And, and so their, their, their trip was not necessarily the best. And so something that is uh, maybe emerging from that is a lot of maybe unprocessed uh, memories, events. I mean, the person faces what's called uh, ego death, where literally they feel their own ego and sense of self kind of dissolve into something beyond them. And that can be a little bit terrifying for, for some people, especially when you um, experience that for the first time. And so, you know, some people literally just come to you and say, hey, I had this terrible event and uh, so many things came up for me, old memories from whatever, past childhood, and I, I need to integrate them. And that's so, you know, the drug on its own will do a lot and bring a lot out of you. Um, but in terms of therapy, it's like, you know, even some of the studies show there's like maybe moderate efficacy for therapy on its own and maybe moderate efficacy for uh, so psychedelic drugs on their own for, you know, maybe like improving uh, depression or reducing anxiety, things like that. Moderate efficacy for each. But the combination of therapy and drugs really seems to have a profound effect. And I think that's where the integration piece is really key, is that people have these experiences. Sometimes they're very distressing. A lot comes up and it's like, whoa, all this has surfaced. How do I literally integrate it, uh, uh, these parts uh, back into my life, um, reflect on them. Um, how do I make meaning of them, make sense of them, uh, things like that. So that's one side of the spectrum. Um, others, people come to you with, let's say, an addiction or something, and they say, hey, I, I've been smoking or whatever, or um, addicted to uh, crack cocaine for a long period of time, and what can I do? And so that's kind of where they don't necessarily have to do the macro dose, although they can if they get that guided by somebody or, you know, uh, through our clinic, we have some clinicians who offer that. Um, but um, yeah, sometimes people just microdose and kind of break the little patterns up into their routines and get a lot of those benefits of these psychedelic trips, but without the actual tripping part. So they're kind of getting these little boosts in mood. Uh, changes in mind, slight changes in mindset, uh, seeing how their body kind of adapts to the substance, um, still psilocybin mushrooms, and yeah, kind of going from there. So it's like therapy slash coaching slash microdose coaching, kind of all wrapped into one. So it's kind of guided, but also really all encapsulated in this greater part of 
uh, aspect of therapy, which is reflection, opening up, working with the therapist, you know, walking through your problems. Um, so yeah, two kind of extreme examples. Some people come to you super distressed. Some people kind of have an intention laid out um, before them. Yeah, microdosing is an interesting phenomenon that I don't completely understand. I have done microdosing. I think it was September and October of last year. I did. I was microdosing with psilocybin, and I didn't really notice any real differences after doing it for a few weeks. But it is something that I want to maybe pay closer attention to, and maybe do it in a more uh, directed manner, with having somebody guide me through a little bit more about how much mm -hmm. I should take and how often, and put some more attention behind it. But for you, so so let, let's start off, you know, with talking about that clinical work that you've done. Um, are there any particular stories or any particular story that you want to vaguely maybe share of a, of a client as an example of how mm -hmm. microdosing can help people deal with various psychological issues? Like, is there one kind of striking example maybe uh, in your work of somebody who was dealing with a variety of issues and you coached them through microdosing and like, how, how did it help them? Um, were there any particular uh, changes that they felt and like any particular example that you could give in terms of microdosing? Yeah, great question. Um, yeah, so of course, prefacing with uh, given its clinical and sensitive information, I won't necessarily give you a false spin on the story, but I'll kind of change some details just to protect um, confidence sure. for these clients. Yeah, but... of course. Yeah, we, yeah we're, we're not going to name people, obviously, yeah. needless to say. But, but yeah. of course, these... You, you start reading like, testimonies of psychedelic experiences, microdosing or otherwise. And it's like, like every story, like there's so many overlaps. It's, it's hard to like pin down one story on one person. There's just like, like so many crazy stories you read. It's not, you, you could never tell that it was, that it could be this kind of person. It's just almost every story is kind of bizarre in its own way. Mm -hmm. um, which is interesting, but, but although with microdosing, we're not going to, hear about anything too bizarre because you're, you're taking smaller amounts, but it is interesting to see what kind of effects that that can have. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. So I'm thinking of uh, one sort of story of a, of a, a client in particular, and um, I've seen him for a fair number of sessions at this point, And um, he's kind of uh, working through a bit of a transition period in his life. Let's say he's going through maybe from adulthood to kind of uh, older adulthood and settling into those roles where maybe he's not so active at work, but uh, all these sort of past maybe uh, uh, traumas and things like that have kind of uh, surfaced. Um, and just for some context, he's somebody who used to work as at a sort of an emergency medical services, um, like first first point of contact kind of person, like a firefighter or you know um, ambulance kind of for that kind of that kind of thing. And so you know those types of folks, of course, it takes a certain personality to do that kind of work, and it's. Uh, you know, uh, we, they don't do it for money. They do it, they do it cause they care and they're kind of, they have their built, um, for that. And so at our clinic, you know, we take a very like trauma focused lens, a trauma focused sort of, uh, perspective. And, um, through that, we have a greater awareness, a greater awareness of the sort of, uh, neurophysiology and sort of somatic sort of nervous system, um, that we each have. And, and that kind of goes into areas of like fight, flight, freeze, and those responses. And I, I won't get into that. Uh, my point is, with this client um, coming to me, he was basically someone who 
you know, because you're literally, if you're a firefighter or you're an emergency response person, you're going into these really intense, really like high stake situations often. And so what that happens is if you're doing that for your job and, you know, especially for nurses and stuff, 12 hours on, 12 hours off shifts, you know, your, your whole circadian rhythm, the way your body reacts to stress, it's just, it's just sort of adapted so differently. And so, for someone like that to, after years, you know, transition to a different career, a different path. Um, of course, he had a lot of stuff going on in his own life that during that time when he was working in this in this field. Um, but his his body, uh, his somatic nervous system was so so almost like overactivated. It was so wired. It was so attuned to look for danger because that's literally what this person had to do for their job, you know, um, and so. With that, um, it was the microdosing mushrooms sort of played a two-part role here, and we can talk more. But the the, the one part was this person. Well, was actually, in- actually, but actually, before before you get there, uh-huh. um, well, what went into the decision that microdosing was the right fit for this person? And microdosing, I assume it's psilocybin we're talking about. Yes, but, but I'm I'm, cur- I'm curious why you uh, you and this individual decided uh, collaboratively to do microdosing. Yeah, great question. Sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. So, um, yeah, with this client, he kind of, from what he told me, had really been through the medical system. Like he had a psychiatrist previously, a psychologist, a family doctor, had been prescribed many things for his anxiety and depression, um, kind of tried lots of different things, actually even had previous therapists too. And he kind of, the way he framed it was, you know, he got a little bit of out of each of them, but they didn't entirely help him. He still kind of felt stuck um, either with his own negative thought patterns, his own low mood. And so I think doing his own research, he kind of came to this idea of like, hey, well, there's this thing that I'm seeing online and people are reporting it's helpful to them. And so maybe I can give it a shot. So he kind of came out, uh, came to the clinic and came to me out of actually a bit of a uh, desperation, you know, as, after having been through the ringer with the medical system for uh, for so long. I think uh, almost a decade. Mm. And okay, but so why microdosing and why not a full trip instead? Um, like so, so what? What specifically went into the intention behind doing the the microdose opposed to um, a full trip or trying something else? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Well, with this client in particular, it's uh, actually it was remote, and so. Um, I can't really offer a full trip or a service remotely, right? You just kind of, you want to have the client in the same room as the therapist, and there's a lot more of uh, preparation and stuff that goes into that. But yeah, so we kind of decided to start with the microdose, and it's kind of always a good idea, I think, regardless uh, if you're seasoned or not with psychedelics or you're very new, microdosing is a great way to kind of just get your feet a little bit wet, just kind of um, get your body and your digestive system to get used to the substance, see how it reacts. Um, Because sometimes people can't even have, I mean, it's rare. I don't think I've actually heard of any um, real cases, but, you know, people, people can be um, allergic to mushrooms or certain types of mushrooms. I mean, think about a a pizza, for example, people could be allergic to, some people are allergic to the cheese, some people to the yeast, some people to like the olives or the green peppers or the onions, like everyone's so different with their body. And so, uh, the way we digest even a slice of pizza is so, so different. So when it comes to something like mushrooms, you know, especially different species, different types, and especially the magic kind, um, 
you know, it's maybe a good idea just to sort of ease into it, see how your body responds, see how it reacts. And then slowly, if you'd like, you know, macrodosing is always an option down the road. There's no real rush or urgency with that. And just to, just to put a fine... Just to put a finer point on this, what was your intention behind trying microdosing with this individual? What were you hoping to get out of it? What was the exact kind of, would you have, did you have any goals in mind of like, oh, we could maybe reach here or this could, this could help this person because of this particular mm-hmm. reason? Mm-hmm. With, uh, with this client having long lasting depression, long lasting anxiety, he had been feeling stuck for a very long period of time. And it seems like his anti-anxiety meds, antidepressants, they weren't really helping. They were kind of helping him, but they were flattening his mood. So his peaks, his happiness, his happy days would not actually be that happy. But his low days wouldn't be that low either. But that just kind of means he's like a flat, he's got flat affect and mood the entire time. And when you're in that state, your thoughts, uh, your uh, development, your goals, all that kind of just stagnates, right? And so kind of the goal by introducing uh, micro microdosing was, well, here's also kind of a medical substance, kind of similar and in falling into that framework of the medical model. Um, you're already taking stuff. Um, you know, see if we can try something that could help uh, in a similar vein that could possibly help disrupt your brain patterns, um, op- increase your openness to new experience, and maybe get you out of that like mental rut. Now, just a small caveat um, is you don't want to just switch the client onto this if they're already taking prescribed medication, especially anti-anxiety meds, especially antidepressants, SSRIs. Uh, these things do kind of uh, interact in a way where maybe if a person's taking both prescribed medication and microdosing or macrodosing, the effects of the mushrooms um, seemingly uh, might be, you know, there might be an interaction there where they're not as effective or something's blocking them. So that's a small caveat. And so the client's kind of actively working with his doctor throughout the process to sort of taper down on one before going up on the other. Okay. Okay. Got it. So, okay. So you start microdose, you start prescribing this microdose for your client. Um, so let, let's, let's start with step one. So what is that process like at the beginning? This person tries it, any um, initial progress that this person makes or like, was it working immediately or did it take a few weeks to work? Were you not sure if it was working or when did you realize that it was working for this client? Anything that he reported sort of in the early phase, maybe like the first uh, few weeks or few days after trying this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one small uh, correction. We can't, we don't actually prescribe the medication. So it's not like we can give them a written form or something. We kind of just say, right, yeah. you know, it's up to you sure. to find a source. Um, but yeah, they go, they kind of, uh, we give them an idea of where they can maybe get it or something, but it's up to the client to get their own. Um, sure. the, certain, the most common strains kind of like the golden teacher or, you know, um, those are kind of good strains to start off with as for a beginner. And so they'd basically order a bunch. Uh, it would come in the mail. I highly recommend the client get like something to evenly like grind them up into like a powder or something. So they're all um, more or less like the same in consistency because sometimes the psilocybin and active psychedelic compounds are, you know, more concentrated in the stem or the cap and it depends on the strain. And so just to make it all consistent, you just want to like kind of crush it all down into a powder. And then once you kind of do that, um, having a scale uh, really helps because then you can actually sort of measure it out and, 
And the dosing and the frequency obviously depends on the coaching and, and how we decide the protocol to go forward with it. It depends on the person. But um, yeah, dosing it is huge because from what I've heard, uh, just like anecdotal experience, knowing people who say the microdose, they, they usually take a lot more than a microdose usually is because they take it to the point where they're feeling like a come up. They feeling, they're feeling kind of awkward. They definitely can't drive a car. And if you are at that point, then you probably took too much. So the idea of microdosing is it's like a sub-threshold dose, right? You're not taking more uh, than, like you're taking less than what you would need to even feel it. Like you barely feel it. You should be comfortable driving a car because um, you are pretty much sober. You don't have any psychological effects or blurry vision or you're not yawning and, and things like that. Yeah, and when one point also I should just make, I don't want to get lost in the minutia of microdosing, but w- one thing that I do realize in retrospect uh, with my microdosing experiences is that, uh, and then this comes from reading Michael Pollan's book on um, uh, psychedelics, on how to change your mind. He, he's talked about this, um, how you, you sh- it is recommended for you to um, take your mushrooms, whether it's a macrodose or a microdose, in some hot boiling water, ideally, to kill any bacteria and for it um, and, and to make it easier for your digestive system to absorb it um, and not have any kind of strained response. Cause I do have digestive issues mm-hmm. and I did take it raw just in a spoon with just some cold water um, just to uh, drink it down. But, but in, in future, if I do it um, as, as other people have said, it is a good idea to kind of make a tea out of it in hot water. So it's easier to digest. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, great point. Um, especially the the procedure and the ritual around making it is super important. Sometimes that tea helps, but then a lot of that compound is still maybe left in the mushroom. So sometimes people will drink the tea and then grind the, the remaining stuff at the bottom of the cup and kind of just ingest that. Sometimes people will just do the tea. Sometimes people will have like a, a gravel or like an emodium, literally some sort of thing to help with the digestion because you're right these things even like lsd and similar psychedelics at least um anecdotally it seems like it really hits the gut strongly like it kind of your 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 stomach and your your stomach lining and uh intestines they kind of they do react to it because they're like whoa what what is this weird substance and and um yeah i have my own kind of weird theories about why that is because recent research has shown this is a bit of a tangent but recent research has shown that you know, that the gut biome is very connected to the mind. And so a lot of times when someone's depressed or whatever, it's like, you can literally tell that if you do sample their gut lining. And so that gut brain connection is super important, but something's going on there where when you're digesting this stuff, the gut does not like it. Yeah. Yeah. And I have a recent uh, misadventure, you might say, Mm. or, uh, somewhat of a negative experience where they um where certain things could have been prevented or uh certain measures could could have been taken for it to be a better experience in terms of the 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 toll that the digestive system takes so those are all important things to be mindful of but uh i'm going to be writing about that at some point in the future um Mm -hmm. but anyway back to back to your story here so you uh, this individual starts microdosing what what happens sort of early on in the first few days or weeks? Did you see any progress right away or, or what kind of comes first after this individual starts microdosing? Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, so this guy actually, it's funny, we had a protocol laid out, and I think maybe he like misread the decimal placing or something. He did end up taking a little bit more than a microdose uh, a few times, and so I don't think it was like a full-on trip, so to speak, but he definitely felt subjectively some effects and kind of wasn't able to do much for a few hours. Yeah. Uh, Just to pause you, how many, how many grams are we talking, roughly speaking? Do you remember? Roughly? Yeah, I... I'd probably guess less than one, but more than, you know, 0. Hmm. 0.2. So kind of like definitely past threshold stage. Your body definitely knows you've taken something. It's a bit it's a bit awkward. It's a bit like, ooh, what's going on? You're feeling something's coming up. But yeah, you don't really fully go into anything. You don't really pass any peaking point. Mm, interesting, because I don't know if this is a difference in species of mushroom or difference in psychological response or some other factor, but I, I've done... When I did my microdosing, I did 0.8 grams, 1 grams, 1.2 grams without feeling too, too much. Although, I think when I did 1.2 or 1.4 grams, then I felt something. But Mm. I I remember remember taking 1 gram and I I didn't feel that much. It didn't shift my my, uh, mind in any significant kind of way. Yeah, fascinating. And again, that's so so many different variables, right? Uh, Weight uh height size body mass how much you've eaten that day uh the the strain yeah it's it's fascinating i would definitely classify like the one gram kind of area as uh, above micro but yeah like you're, like you're saying you know it's it's so different between people and that, that's kind of part of that coaching process is really tuning into that individual person you know what protocol is working for you and and we always kind of err on the side of caution and slowly increase and kind of see how it's affecting the person Um, okay. Okay. So, yeah. Okay. So back to the. Okay. So back to the story of this yes. client. Yeah. So he. Okay. So yeah. It's not a miracle cure, right? And so it's not like he's going to start taking this very small dosage of mushroom and suddenly start feeling better. Um, and that's kind of where that therapy piece is super important, right? It's not like we're just depending on the drug. It's the person's. You know, we're we're, we're uh, creating rapport amongst each other. The client's opening up to me. He's sharing things that maybe he never actually was able to with previous therapists. And that actually usually, I'm getting ahead of myself, that came down the road. But, you know, there's a rapport building process. It takes a few sessions, exploration about what the client's goals are. And then while we're doing that, we're also doing the coaching. So the client's slowly trying out a few doses, some recommendations, a protocol, and then giving me some feedback about how he's doing and how his body's reacting to it. And in that process, it's like the therapy's doing its thing, but also it seems like the mushrooms are doing this thing, kind of going hand in hand together. Um, and I guess it's hard to separate the two, but I have noticed clients who are microdosing, it's easier for them to engage in that rapport building process, even if they're depressed, even if they're anxious, even if maybe they've had bad experiences with previous therapists, it seems to like open up that gate of maybe feeling empathic or even feeling any emotions in the first place. And that really helps um, the therapy be more effective. Okay. So what was the first sign of progress with this client or did you kind of start like, so he, uh, he did microdosing a few times. Um, was he sort of feeling the effects of, did it create any um, significant or subtle shifts in his life? Uh-huh. And how, 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 how do you exactly uh, gauge that 
and like do you so so he takes these doses and then you talk about it in your sessions then do you maybe change the dose or do you further break down what happened in those experiences like what were what were maybe like the first significant um points in this microdosing uh regimen that he was on yeah good good call uh good question and i guess it's it's really different for each person right but for this guy he with us it's funny he actually mentioned after doing it for a few weeks and doing therapy you know once a week or so in between then um he came to me one session he was like yeah you know i i, I tried it a few times and maybe i went path threshold and i felt something and it was kind of like getting high on weed or something and i don't know i just felt saw some colors and i felt kind of good and i came back and nothing really happened and then as we went through the session it's like it's like a boiling an egg the 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 peel uh the sort of outer layer started like to peel you know and he was like oh wait i remember this thing came across my mind during the trip oh okay tell me more about that oh well you know i didn't think about this this way but i really regret xyz happening with my close relative and it was a really messed up situation like 20 years ago and holy crap it's like i'm still holding on to this and it's like whoa there's something that you've never shared before with a therapist for his words um that never really came to your conscious all these years but it was wow. just affecting you this whole time and it's like well that 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 microdosing or whatever happened in the last few weeks that I'd see been seeing you maybe it was a therapy maybe it was the dosing maybe it was a bit of both that that outer layer started to peel and we kind of got a glimpse of oh what are some of the underlying you know um uh, underlying uh, causes that latent behavior that's that's uh, latent uh, emotions that's causing all this strife all these negative emotions in the first place Wow, that's super fascinating. So was this sort of early on, like first few weeks that he had this insight? He he was ready to give up. He was like, I quit my anti-anxiety meds for this. He tapered them off and stuff and, and all that with his doctor. Um, I, I was doing all these things. And uh, yeah, therapy is nice. I get to see you once every week or so. I'm going to talk about life, but... I don't, he was kind of giving up. And then I guess that was a great like insight for both of us into the, the impact, the powerful impact of this, you know, it's not like a one and done thing. It's, you know, therapy, healing, all, all of that is a bit of a process. And I think in that session, in that moment, after all these weeks of just kind of going through the motions, it finally, we kind of got somewhere, you know, and then he was like, Whoa. And, and that's kind of where I helped frame it where it's like, you know, there's this therapy that we've been doing the whole time. And there's this protocol you've been trying out with me the whole time. And this is it. This is insight. This is, this is radical change. That is not, that will also take time for him to settle and integrate, but we've noticed it. We've identified mm. it. Yeah. Mm, and, and that change pro was prompted by realizing that he had been holding on to this historical baggage, this thing from 20 years ago with his relative. It, it was, that was, that was the key insight for him. Yeah, that was one of the big ones for him and something that he didn't consciously even think of all these years. But it's apparently something happened during one of his micro or threshold dose kind of um, sessions where and even that didn't come out because he was like, oh, I kind of got high and that was it. But then it came out in therapy, in process, when I kind of reflected his experiences with him. And that's kind of where that therapy and the medicine kind of blend and, and meet together to interact in a way where therapy by itself or the medicine by itself 
could be kind of helpful. Yeah, you'll trip and see some funny colors or yeah, you'll make maybe some progress in therapy, but combined together in the right setting for the right problem for the right person, it can really do wonders. Mm. And was, was he able to let go of this event from the past or because I have no idea where you are at in this journey with this individual and how much progress you may have made. I don't know how long the story is um, or if there like, is there anything more significant um, after this or, or are you still sort of in the process or there might not be enough to share there with that individual client? I, I'm just asking because we we're sort of just going into this freewheeling into the story, but I, you know, I didn't hear about this story before. So I'm just curious if, uh, there's anything else there that you may want to share that would be interesting for listeners to pay attention to. Yeah, totally. So yeah, I don't, I didn't mean to lead you on, but yeah, it's, uh, I guess what I'm describing here, it was kind of like maybe the 30 or 40% of the way to where we are now, which I guess is like kind of a hundred, if that makes sense. So it was kind of earlier on in our sessions that we've been working since then. And, and I guess that critical incident um, was the crux in which he was able to say, holy crap, I had been holding this on to me for so long. It was maybe a word or two that I used to describe my identity. Maybe it was like a bad cousin or a bad friend or whatever, right? Like he really internalized this guilt around this certain situation with this uh, close person he had uh, many decades ago. And it's like that almost like the, the ability for him to see that identify as a problem, notice how it's affecting him and holding on to him today and reframe it. That's that last part. Reframing it was so key because he was like, whoa, I've been holding on to this identity for so long. I didn't even know it was there. And now that I'm aware of it, hmm, what do I want to reframe this as? I'm definitely not a bad person. That was a one-off incident with this one-off person at a weird time in my life. I've been a different person the rest of my life. And yet I'm still affected by this. And so that process of now, we're now reintegrating the experience um, into the narrative of the person's life, into into how they see themselves. And that's truly what changes. And yeah, since then, it's like almost night and day, you know, I'm not going to say it's a miracle cure because we there was a lot of work leading up to that moment. But, you know, after that, it was like, whoa, he, he his mood was different. And we made a lot more progress in other areas of his life. And yeah, it's kind of a, a bit of a snowball effect. Mm. So he was able to let go of this one part of him, this identity that he had built on just like this one incident was affecting him this much that he was creating his identity based on this one incident, or at least this one incident played a big part in shaping his identity. I, I Apparently. And maybe, maybe it was the anxiety or the depression that obviously doesn't help with the negative thoughts, the negative self-talk. Right. But if it's, I mm. guess if he, if he believes somewhere down the line that I was, I'm a shitty person from this one thing and that mm. thought sticks with him, but he forgets the reason for that thought. It's like, it seemed like that incident with the mushrooms and the integration together that really sparked that connection for him. And then he was able to rewire it. He was able to literally reframe his whole perspective and say, you know what? I'm not that person anymore. I overcame this. I've changed. And it's not fair for me, for myself, to myself to still hold on to this identity. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. And I assume like, if you want to look at this more deeply, like it was probably some kind of unconscious, like thought pattern that he had had this, this, um, 
event that had occurred and um, this wrong he had committed, he had internalized it. And I assume he wasn't really aware of it, as you said, right? And he then was able to see how that was playing a role in shaping his identity. And then he was able to overcome that. So would you say it was probably like the awareness that played a, a key role from in, in combination with the therapy that the, the microdosing um, created this awareness for this part of him that he maybe didn't even know was there or, or mm-hmm. did he know it was there and he didn't know what to do about it? Yeah, it, it seems like at least from his um, sort of light bulb moment, it seemed like he really was clueless about this thing that was weighing on his shoulder, like an invisible baggage this whole time. And he internalized it to the point where he just said, oh, I'm a bad person or, oh, I've been a terrible, you know, blank, a cousin, brother, whatever. And it's like, because of that, I don't deserve X, Y, Z. And I'm stuck in my anxiety. I'm stuck in my depression. I'm stuck in these negative thought patterns that haunt me. And so that breaking point was a breaking point, not just for that event and to integrate that experience and reshape his identity today. It was also a way of like paving, okay, we changed a little bit of how we look at ourselves in the past. And here we are, we're still working on ourselves. How do we look into the future? And suddenly you have someone who has been depressed and anxious for very long, can't even think about making any goals or commitments, even, you know, doing small things like cleaning around in the house is a huge chore. Suddenly goal orientation becomes possible. He goes, whoa, I was able to make some change and I see some progress in me and that kind of motivates the person to small, again, small steps and everyone's different, but hey, work further on himself and uh, other areas of his life, other aspects of his identity that um, maybe haven't been fully processed. Wow. Yeah, it's amazing how just this one incident was affecting him this much. Like we should all like take a moment to reflect on what incidents that have happened in our past and how they're playing a role in our how they're playing a role in shaping our identity today. Like it's, it's incredible how just one thing can have that much of an impact. And I suppose I don't, I would have to think about this deeply for myself, but there are definitely some things um, that I can look back to that are playing a role in how I look at the world today. But it's, but yeah, it's, it's amazing how just these things in the past have such massive repercussions for our future. And we don't even know it, right. It, it took the, microdosing for this person to realize how much this event was affecting him and was preventing him from actually living a fulfilled and joyful life. Yeah. Yeah. And Hey, even with the microdosing, he was like, Oh, I just kind of felt some color. I saw some things. I felt something cool. I tingly a little bit. And that was it. The, the realization seemed to come from talking to me about it, having that Mm. space to talk, having that space to reflect. And it's like, that's why I mean by therapy, by drug interaction. It's not necessarily either of the two that are doing the work. It's like both of them together, you know, it's like hitting, uh, using like two different tools in a way where they're much more powerful together than they would be on their own. Right, right. Yeah, and, and just to um, clarify here, so this was, um, after how many microdoses did he have this insight? Was it one particular trip or was it, um, or was it several trips in combination that led to this insight for him? Man, yeah, I guess I was at least like 
uh, if I can remember correctly, probably about seven sessions. And, you know, that's probably, we didn't necessarily do one session every week. Sometimes it was every two weeks. So I'd guess maybe about over 10 weeks or maybe two and a half months of, of therapy. And, and through that process, again, he's, we're getting to know each other. We're uncovering his past, learning so much about his medical history, doing coaching the whole time, adjusting as we meet each time. And yeah, I guess, I guess over, over about that many sessions, that many weeks, the, the eggshell started to crack. And, and, but for microdosing, um, like was, yeah. was, was it, was it one specific microdosing session for him? that precipitated this insight or was it a series of them that led to this specific insight? Hard to say, hard to say, because it seems like it did happen at one point, but he clearly was doing it, uh, you know, in his own little pattern that we were, we decided his own routine that worked for him leading up to it. So it's hard, it's hard, it's hard to say. Um, but it's not like he took it just once a week over those, um, uh, 10 or so weeks either, you know, because everyone's, sort of uh, coaching uh, program and stuff is it's individualized, it's personalized, and it's sort of a trial and error as well with the therapist. So it's, everyone's different. Mm. Interesting. And did this individual continue the microdosing after this insight or did, did he stop after, sometime after? Like, this is, I guess, a broader microdosing question is of mm -hmm. like, how, how long do you see benefits? Should you continue doing it? When should you stop? Yep. Yep. And again, like everyone's, uh, everyone's different, right? It's like, what are your goals? Um, when does healing, when is it finished for you? You know, what, um, and even if you have quote unquote healed for your original goal for therapy, maybe new stuff comes up or your goals change, or you just realize, Hey, this maybe has a part in my life and my routine. Um, I think every day is probably not the best. I think you do, your body does build a tolerance to it. But there are certain protocols where you skip a few days or you do it on certain days of the week or whatever. And again, the dosage, the frequency, all of that's really tailored, individualized and, and worked through between the microdose coach slash therapist and the client. Mm. Right. And this and, and also just, just to clarify, so this insight this uh, client had, you, you were saying he did one trip where he took more than he was supposed to. So he actually ended up having like a. No, not a full experience, but a, a bit more of a microdose. Was it that one specific trip then that um, was pivotal for him? Or did, did you just mention that just because that was just an interesting experience that he had generally? Yeah, just an interesting experience and, and probably one that's a lot of, really common for a lot of people. Because when they say they're microdosing, you, you ask them what they're feeling and they're describing the effects. And, and you're like, whoa, that that's definitely sounds like more than a microdose. So it's, it's honestly a little bit hard to say, you know, how much of the effects are attributable uh, entirely to a sub-threshold microdose in like a purest sense of that definition, if we're to like operationalize it and stuff, uh, compared to people who maybe kind of eyeball it or take a little bit more than that. And, and then what does that effect lead to? Um, yeah, I think there's sort of room for, for both micro and macro. There's that weird no man's land where it's really different for people, depending on, again, how much they eat, their body weight, what they've had that day, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, that, that, that can definitely be uncomfortable, especially if you're new to this kind of stuff. So starting low, starting light, and uh, working with someone, kind of coaching through it is, I think, uh, really helpful. It really helps you from a lot of that trial and error on your own. Yeah, yeah, that's great. And we'll probably want to wrap this up in about 10 minutes, but I think we'll, we'll have you on again, uh, maybe next week. Uh, we'll, we'll, 
you, you'll sort of be a, a recurring guest on here. We'll we'll have you on a few times to talk about your experiences with dealing with clients because I think that is so interesting and valuable for people to listen to. Um, and then we will talk about you um, dealing with clients who have done full psychedelic journeys. I think that that'll be even more interesting. But in terms of microdosing for now, um, are there any general takeaways that you, any specific general takeaways you may have of how microdosing can benefit people or specifically in your practice, in your work, um, is there something that strikes you as being particularly significant in the way microdosing can help people in their inner journeys? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And maybe this is part of um, me being a novice here, you know, is I haven't, I don't have too much of a sample size in terms of doing it with enough people to say that, you know, there's a general blanket effect or there's a general effect that's sure. Kind of yeah. Yeah. No, no, yeah. Of, of course. Let, let's just like even, yeah. And I'm glad you said that, but sure. In, in your, in your limited experience, I'm very curious because I know that psychedelics, it's, it's easy to make these broad blanket statements, which many people who are very, very experienced do, which there's definitely a time and place for that. But I am very curious in just individual experiences because all experiences um, vary and sometimes they can vary radically. So I'm curious in your limited experience, what you have seen uh, with microdosing, if there's anything significant that you want to share in terms of how it's helped clients in dealing with their psychological issues. Hmm. Hmm. I'd say as a general observation, um, mood seems to be, it's not like an antidepressant, but mood seems to be a little bit shifted in the positive direction. You know, the person seems to generally not so feel so gloom and uh, doom and gloom um, as they would if they're depressed or uh, anxious day in and day out. Um, on the other side too, you know, with microdosing, um, yeah, yeah, it's so, so many factors, so many variables, but that it's like, it helps to disrupt you. I hate the word disrupt and reset because those are such strong words. And, you know, from a neuroscience perspective, it's such a big no, no, but I mean, subjectively, you do feel like you're disrupting older, smaller, subtler patterns in your life, ways of doing like even, even down to like, Hey, there's this uh, part of my room or part of my home where there's just a pile of laundry or it hasn't been vacuumed in a while, or I don't know what's going on over there. And I haven't really visited that place. And it's like these small, subtle shifts in your behavior and awareness where you're like, whoa, these things in my life, these areas of my life, a physical place, but also mentally have been unattended to. And that, that even that direction of focus of awareness is a fantastic uh, first step towards that healing process. Mm. Well, one thing I should know based on my limited experience and other people's experiences is there might be some kind of a placebo effect at play here because you can't mm. really tell if the, the if certain sort of transformation or some sort of changes you might be sensing is because of just greater awareness that's associated with taking the microdose versus the actual microdose actually affecting you. So that there is a bit of that ambiguity there, right, of is this actually affecting me in the way that I think it is? Or am I just like suddenly more aware that I have to do my laundry, right? Is, is it the drug or is it, is it something else or is it accident or is it completely unrelated that you have this specific insight or this change in mood? 
Totally, totally. And hey, my response to that is, you know, if it's placebo or not, if it works, it works, right? You know? um, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. That, that, that's a good point. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if it works, it works, right? If, if something is working, um, I, I guess, I guess the question would be then, how, how do you know that it is working as a therapist? Hmm. Yeah. And, you know, like, it's almost like, does it, does it really matter? And that kind of goes back to my article too, where I mentioned the, the powerful impact of even placebo pills, literally knowing that you're taking a sugar pill, there's an act of opening the pill bottle, swallowing the pill, drinking water. In, in the Western medical healing context, we've learned to associate that part with feeling better, like taking a Tylenol for a headache kind of thing. And so if literally mushrooms have no psychological effects whatsoever, no effects on the gut microbiome, no effects on the brain at small doses, at large doses, maybe it's all placebo. Is that not so bad compared to a lot of uh, psychopharmaceutical drugs where there's tons of side effects, tons of things that can go wrong, uh, medications just to deal with other medications and side effects, you know. And so it's like in the grand scheme of things, and again, these things are not for everybody. Um, if you have a history of like schizophrenia or a personality disorder in your family, or, you know, you have a lot of complex trauma uh, you have a hard time dealing with things like ego death. I mean, there's a lot of reasons why one would not be recommended this at all, period. And there would be more of a vetting process around that. So there's no blanket terms here, no blanket statements. But hey, right place, right context, right circumstance. Is eating a little bit of fungi really that bad? <laughs> Right. Yeah. Yeah. And of, and of course, we have every every reason to believe that it is having an effect uh, at microdoses because you, you can sort of even incrementally test this out as I've done or other others that I know have done. Like if you obviously five grams, something's happening. Duh. <laughs> You're having an ego death. But, it, but, but yeah, three grams, two grams, one point five grams. You know, one of my friends who did it with me, he had some interesting effects where he was much more. He had this hyper awareness and this this hyper appreciation for what he was eating and what he was looking at. And even when his eyes were closed, he was just deeply content and mm. didn't need much simulation. It was just, well, whatever was around was deeply interesting. Sort of like you're, uh, you've done a long, long-term meditation retreat and you're, you're sort of become accustomed to take deep interest in the breath or sensations on your feet as you're walking. Like, like these are the kind of effects that you can have with microdosing. It, it seems to be pretty clear. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, me uh, meditation and these mindful exercises, it's like uh, you minimize the stimuli around you so much that the mundane, uh, the boring becomes interesting. And it's such a flip from the, our current base reality where we're stuck at home, you know, it's a pandemic, we're glued to our screens, we're doom scrolling, we're, we're bored and we're literally escaping our own boredom, we're procrastinating and we can't just fight that feeling and it's like, Whoa, it's like you're doing nothing either way, right? But you're dealing with it so negatively on the on your phone when you're doom scrolling on Instagram or whatever on Twitter compared to sitting there observing and being so curious to your surroundings and just being in awe uh, about the nature of our reality in front of us. Right, yeah, no, that totally makes sense. And we're going to... Oh wrap this in a few minutes um unless somebody has any questions that they want to ask parker abhi gideon if you want to ask anything in particular based on what mohit said like i said uh, next time we'll talk about his 
experiences with clients who've done full psychedelic trips and we'll we'll talk about that but if anybody has any questions based on what he said here today or based on his article uh feel free to do so Mm -hmm. yeah feel free to reach out uh, either in chat or you can uh, reach out to me on my website again it's my first and last name.com or my full name.substack.com you can subscribe or um just reach out through that substack email I, i think it eventually does get back to me um, but yeah, would be totally be open to, to answering any questions, uh, during this, after this. And yeah, thanks again, Rav, for, for having me. I really appreciate the opportunity. Sure. All right. Anybody want to ask any questions here? Oh, we have one caller. All right. Good. Oh, yeah. Hi. Hey, cool. Yeah, great chat. Just sitting here a lot listening to it on the side. Um, didn't have too much to add other than was liking it. I was curious um, to know, how, you know, it, it just seems like while I looked away that entheogenic use and psychedelic use has become a lot more, um, I guess, mainstreamed, but seen in more professional circles as being something that could be a valid aid to psychotherapy. So I'm wondering what kind of has the progression been like that over the last 10 years? Um, and, are, you know, what is your position are you, as a psychoanalyst? Um, is that something that you did in school? And, I, I again, I only caught the latter half, so you might already spoke to this. But just kind of curious to hear what the mainstream view is of, of these plant-based medicines and, and how mainstream it's gotten in, in that whole field. Hmm. Yeah, great question, Gideon. Uh, thanks for that. Um, yeah, so in school, definitely we're not trained in this at all. Um, this is very much experiential. Um, over at Thrive, where I work, there we have a very unique training model, and the way we do it is very experiential. And so it's a bit different from a lot of the mainstream training uh, models out there. Um, uh, another thought was, well, you know, in the last 10 years, the underground became the mainstream. And uh, if you get a chance to read my article, I kind of go into a lot of these critiques as well about what that means when a lot of big corporate money is involved. There's PR involved, uh, large ethical studies being taken place where certain protocols aren't entirely being met and clients aren't entirely safe when they're tripping and stuff. So a lot of, well, not a lot, but some red flags. But um, yeah, that article kind of deep dives into that. So I think it'd be a good read for, for you, uh, Gideon. But um, yeah. But yeah, and, and one it, la just kind of touching on that, because um, I have noticed I am in a state that recently went legal with cannabis, um, you know, which as you have the whole commercialization industries of scale and everything, one of the things you see is a lot of people that were, say, like medical caregiver growers, whatever, um, are no longer able to compete on the treadmill. And one of the trends that I'm seeing is a lot of them looking towards doing the mushrooms. Um, which I think is probably a net positive, but that is also one of the things that I, you know, I do worry about is, is, is this something that people have, you know, the correct amount of responsibility for the right amount of respect? Is this getting too commercialized? And I was wondering what kind of pitfalls you saw along the way as this becomes more mainstream of people maybe just not having the right respect or, um, just kind of like that, how, how that gets charted out. Yeah, great question. Um, and I kind of looked to um, the Netherlands and Amsterdam when they were kind of legalizing um, psilocybin, um, I think truffles and stuff. They still sell them there. Um, uh, you know, 
at some point, uh, I think some like tourist went there, had some, had a really bad, bizarre trip, almost like a psychotic kind of breakdown. I think they ran around naked somewhere in the public square and ended up trying to stab somebody or then they got shot by the police. It ended up really badly. But all, all my point is all it takes is one negative PR, uh, PR stunt or P- PR story to really, you know, taint the entire industry. And unlike the cannabis industry where, yeah, people can, can get high and mostly we'll be fine. Maybe you'll be paranoid or something. You know, um, of course, things can go really wrong with cannabis, too. I, I don't want to minimize that. But it's much generally a much more safer drug than, than psilocybin or LSD or any synthetic uh, compounds. And I think my point is we have to be very, very careful. And that's also in my article, too. Like, I, very, I really highlight and express, I sort of, um, you know, uh, highlight the point that it's a dangerous territory that we're all charting into as this resurgence happens. And it's so much more money is at stake. So many more people are involved. Uh, honestly, I'm not too sure if every single corporate executive at every single one of these big public companies has even tried it themselves and, and no judgment. <laughs> Maybe they're into it just for the money, but you know, it's so easy to mess this up. And so we have to all collectively be very careful uh, tampered with our expectations. Because um, again, there's a context for everything. This is just a tool at the end of the day. And if you use a tool wrongly, even a hammer can be used to kill somebody, right? Yeah, great. Yeah, that was basically it. It was, uh, I enjoyed the chat and I look forward to um, the ones in the future. And I, I also, like I mentioned in the comment, would like to hear in the future about any, you know, macro stuff with spirit molecule and kind of those those topics as well mm-hmm. sure yeah thank you um there's a small note on that because i am a, a newer therapist i don't have too much client exposure with macro trips but it is something that i'm um again sort of working my way up up to in my own kind of training my own kind of uh, learning and self-discovery uh as a general rule of thumb you don't want to take your client someplace that you haven't been to yourself if that makes sense and so there's like a lot of maybe my own work that i like to do as well. And, and that goes for every field of um, where, where one has to be a bit self-critical about themselves, right? It's like this introspection and this growth and there's all the ups and downs that come with that. So I, I have not, not too much experience with that, but of course, we'd love to keep the conversations going and, and down the road, I'd love to get more experience in that at the clinic. Great. Yeah. Well, next time you guys do it, I'll uh, definitely have to market and hop in because I have on the informal side, I maybe a couple uh, anecdotes and stories I'd like to share on that side that I, people will enjoy. So, um, yeah, once again, I'll give you guys a follow and uh, appreciate the chat. Thank you. Yeah, that sounds good. And for future conversations, um, are you following me on Substack, Gideon? That's where I'm going to be posting these uh, the links and the dates for these conversations. Okay. Um, no, I don't, but I do want to, you know, I hear a lot of good things about that. I peep into it, but I am, uh, just created this today and in the process of getting, getting a little more integrated digitally. So I want to do this stub stack next and, um, I'll, I'll find your updates here. Do you, will you also have, um, I know that you can schedule them on this app. Will you be doing that as well? Yes. Yeah, I will be. Yep. Absolutely. Okay. Well, thank you fellas. Perfect. All right. Well, good conversation, Mohit. Um, appreciated your insights, and uh, we look to having more of those uh, in the future. Cool. Yeah, thanks so much, Rav, and thanks to um, the audience for listening and, and getting on for the comments. Thanks so much. All right, great. Have a good night, guys. All right, take care, everyone.